This is the Thorn Podcast, Performance Edition, the show that navigates the complex world of sports science and explores the latest research on diet, nutritional supplements, and the human body. I'm Joel Totoro, Director of Sports Science at Thorn. As a reminder, statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Thorn Podcast, Performance Edition. Joining me once again is Becky Twombly, the team sports dietitian for the Los Angeles Angels and the dietitian with the Los Angeles Lakers, as well as co-owner of Rebuild Nutrition. Becky, it's great to have you back. How have you been uh, since our last chat? I've been really good. You know, things are moving quickly and life comes at you fast. So uh, we talked a little bit last time about medical nutrition therapy and how you kind of started in the clinical realm in hospitals and, 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 you know, applied those learnings to sport at the highest level. But can you kind of take a, I think it's a super interesting story. Can you take our listeners through your, your journey and, and kind of how sports performance and sports nutrition has evolved? Sure. Yeah. In 1998, I graduated from Pepperdine University. So I'll totally date myself, but it's important. I was a volleyball player at Pepperdine and wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do when I graduated. I was kind of, you know, going back and forth between physical therapy and becoming a registered dietitian. And so I kept coaching during that time because I just wasn't ready to make a decision either way. And while I was coaching, I realized how sports and athletics in general were missing the nutrition part. And so when I looked around the country, I could point to one sports dietitian that was at Nebraska working full time. And I thought, you know what, this is what I want to do. I want to be a sports dietitian. So I went back to school, to grad school, and to do some prerequisites as well. And every time that my professors would ask me what I wanted to do, and I said I wanted to be a sports dietitian, they would laugh and say, well, what are you going to do to make money? That's a really good hobby, but you know, how are you going to support yourself? Fast forward, um, you know, I did my internship and I started working in clinical, clinical nutrition at Harbor UCLA Medical Center, which is a county hospital. I learned so much. I was a NICU dietitian. I worked in pediatrics. I was got to work in a genetics clinic with the best geneticist in the country. I just, you know, was just inundated with great physicians around me. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, a former colleague threw my name in for a sports nutrition job at UCLA where they said, you know, we really need somebody to come in and work with our athletes. And so, you know, we need a dietitian to help. What can we do? And she said, oh, I know a former volleyball player that is a dietitian now. You know, it was, you know, really just the luck of the draw. And so I started working at UCLA as a sports dietitian in 2007. And I was there for five years to grow that program when I and then left to go to USC when all of those sanctions happened and they needed somebody to help with recovery with for their football team. So I worked there for seven years and, you know, got in with baseball during that time was had a really successful baseball career and the Angels hired me. And then now I'm with the Angels and the Lakers. So College sports, you work a little bit with everybody, and so you kind of find what you're good at. And baseball and basketball are definitely my niche. Um, throughout that time, you know, working with so many athletes, injuries are inevitable. And so no matter what you do to prepare so that you're not going to get injured, sometimes, you know, your ligaments just can't withstand the stress that's put on them. And so surgery is required. And when that happens, you can see that 
The surgeon is probably the biggest factor in the recovery, you know, making sure that you get the job done right. But then after that, it's the healing process. And so many times we leave the healing up to mother nature, right? Time is the best healing agent that there is. But there are some things that we can do to prepare the tissue ahead of time. And there are some things that we can do to support that tissue during the process to help not healing happen faster, but for healing to happen more completely. And I think that's something that has become a huge passion of mine as I've worked with these athletes and watched them return to play. And so I decided that I wanted to start a business that brought that to the public. Um, so we have, I started Rebuild Nutrition, which I started with my very first intern ever. She came to UCLA in 2008 and has become an incredible dietitian. And so we paired up and have started this business that we're really loving and passionate about. That's excellent. And uh, I think, uh, I think it's impressive to see how far it's come. You know, you mentioned, you know, 2007, that's about when I met you. And at that time, you know, it it was, you know, I was in the NFL. There was probably about 15 or so maybe at the college level doing it full time. And we had, you know, one or two in the Olympics and a handful in the military. And that was our entire profession, you know. So can you talk a little bit about the growth you've seen from fighting to be able to provide, you know, fruits, nuts and bagels to our athletes (laughs) at the NCAA level all the way through now, you know, with your company Rebuild? Yes. You know, really, you know, you're getting lab, you're getting the same lab works and data that you would have gotten in the hospital, you know, when you first started. Right. Well, it's really cool to see um, all of that education that I received from those from those experiences at Harbor UCLA now be able to translate into my day-to-day work. Um, You know, I still feel like I work in the ICU. I just, the people that I'm working with aren't in a bed, (laughs) you know, like it's really, you know, ICU nutrition and recovery nutrition on the sideline. You know, they're, they're cramping. What do we do? There's muscle damage. What do we do? You have a shoulder impingement and there's inflammation. How are we going to make sure that you can be in the game tomorrow night? Those are important factors for us to consider. And so you're just constantly trying to find, you know, the, the loopholes or the cheat codes as one of my athletes used to call them. And I, I just really think it's, it's an incredible business to be in and to watch it grow, like you said, has been huge. So in 2007, when we met, you know, there were, I want to say there were, there were 12 full-time sports dietitians and there were about 30 dietitians total in the country that were working in sports. In 2010, the Collegiate and Professional Sports Dietitians Association was formed. And after that, it's just been nothing but an upward trajectory. The Pac-12, which was the Pac-10 when I first started, uh, but the Pac-12 had two sports dietitians when I first began in 2007. And, you know, I I don't even think I could say how many there are right now, but all 12 schools have them and all 12 schools have more than one dietitian. So, you know, when you're talking about probably somewhere around 36 dietitians in the Pac-12. So in this, you know, less than 20 years, we've had a, you know, growth from two to 36. That's pretty huge. Yeah, that's an impressive decade for sure. And huge strides in in taking care of our athletes' health and wellness. So I think one of the things you touched on, I want to dive into a little bit more. So you talked about some of the learnings you had in the ICU, and I've come to refer to sport as intentional trauma. Like we know it's going to happen, right? Which is the difference between ICU. So if you know this damage is going to happen to the body during training, during competition, what are some of the things you, you can apply to that, you know, from the ICU to the the kind of athlete 
And to me, there's no more obvious application to that than around the injury care process. So can you talk a little bit about the role you play as a sports dietitian around injury? Yes. You know, obviously we can't, we can't know when all injuries are going to occur, but we do often know when surgery is going to occur. And so we can have kind of a preparation phase for that. You know, we know that once an injury happens, the outcomes are better in the OR if we can make sure that inflammation is down and the tissues are kind of settled in before that operation happens. So I always think about it like healthy cells recover faster. If you are, you know, if you're sick and then you get sick on top of that, it's going to take you a long time to recover. Whereas we can make sure that those cells are really resilient. Um, you know, I'll steal Jana Heitmeyer's analogy of the beef jerky and raw sirloin. Beef jerky is really easy to twist and tear, and raw sirloin is very resilient. You can pull and try to stretch it, and you're never going to do anything unless you have a super sharp knife. And that's literally the difference between fueled and unfueled muscle. And so being able to realize that to be able to make sure that your muscles look like a nice juicy sirloin is going to make sure that you're prepared for that surgery. So a lot of what we do is, I guess, going back to the to the ICU, right? In an ICU, we would look at an albumin and a prealbumin to see what's the protein status. You know, we might do a 24-hour UUN to see what is the nitrogen balance. Um, we don't generally do that with athletes because we know what they've been eating. So when you work with an athlete and you know that they've been recovering with 30 grams of whey protein post-training for the last three weeks, they get injured, you know that their protein status is probably pretty good. So all we have to do is just correct the little things. We continue with that protein, we'll maybe adjust their macronutrient percentages, but we need to make sure that their energy balance is met that we're providing the anti-inflammatory foods that we can put in there to make sure that they're gonna, their tissues can calm down before surgery. And then as soon as surgery is over, that's when the work really begins, where we can really affect that inflammatory phase of injury and get them to progress into the proliferation stage faster. Nice. You know, it's a, always an important message when you have a vegan uh, promoting raw sirloin. So <laughs> definitely... <laughs> I'm not defined by my protein. I'm not <laughs> vegan. <laughs> I just choose to not eat meat sometimes, most of the time. So you touched a little bit on inflammation, and I think that's one of the most confusing parts of the recovery process for you know everyone, really. So can you talk a little bit about inflammation and, and when it's helpful and when you want to kind of manage it or support the body's response? Yes. Well, I mean, we can nerd out a little bit on immunity right here. Everybody, especially right now with COVID, everyone talks about boosting immunity, right? And I think it's really important to, to show that boosting immunity means that you're boosting the pro-inflammatory phase in addition to the anti-inflammatory phase. So our bodies are made to be able to repair. So as soon as there's an injury, there's inflammation because that's all of our white blood cells, cytokines, all kinds of immune cells pouring into that area so that we can repair the tissue. The issue is when that phase lasts a little bit too long, right? So if we have too much inflammation and the body can't convert into that decreasing inflammation, 
inflammation stage fast enough, then we have a prolonged time where we have a decreased range of motion, where we have decreased or we have increased muscle atrophy. So our muscle is being deteriorated. And so really what we try to do at Rebuild is try to decrease that amount of time where our immune system is really heightened and turn it turn those cytokines into resolve a little bit faster. Perfect. So I think in a similar vein, one of those things when it seems kind of paradoxical, similar to the inflammation process, we see athletes struggle a lot to understand calorie needs during repair and the rehab process. You know, on one hand, their activity is decreased, while on the other hand, their the nutrient needs to, to heal and recover increase. So how do you kind of talk to your athletes about that process? Oh man, that is a really big challenge. And intuitively, we all think that as we decrease activity, that we are that we need to decrease our calories. And most often people decrease their carbohydrate. And in an injured state, we need more carbohydrate because our cells are working harder. You might not physically be sweating on the outside, but internally your body's going through a harder workout than you could ever put yourself through. You know, I think nothing speaks to this more than a head injury. As soon as you have a brain injury, some type of a concussion, your resting metabolic rate, your basal metabolic rate, those are doubled so that you're requiring so many more calories just to sustain life and to heal. And when you cut calories during that time, the healing time just is elongated immensely. So a lot of times with the people that take a really long time to heal from a concussion, they've cut their calories. They imagine you have a head injury, right? The last thing you want to do is go to the grocery store. <laughs> so you're sitting at home, you're sleeping a lot, you want to be in a dark room. And you know, unfortunately, their calorie needs aren't met. And once you once you go below that energy balance, you're in a negative energy balance, your tissues start to erode. They're not building. And so that can really impede the recovery process and keep you in that inflammatory stage a lot longer. All in all, energy balance is probably the most important part of healing, and it's often the least thought of. I think, as you mentioned, the, the calorie needs post-traumatic brain injury are you know, astronomical and, and not talked about as much as they need to be. So that's actually a topic we're going to dig a little bit deeper in a future episode with uh, some of our mutual friends at UFC Performance Institute. So just such an interesting topic and, and growing daily. But what are some of the, the nutrients, you know, kind of nitty gritty? This is what our listeners want to hear about. What are some of the certain nutrients you focus on, you know, around the, the perioperative period all the way through the rehab process? So we kind of group them into a little to different categories. So one of them is going to be, you know, what can we do to improve blood flow? You know, so imagine irrigating out inflammation with a fire hose instead of a garden hose. You know, you're going to be able to get things moving a lot faster with a fire hose. So if we can open up blood vessels, then we can get the, that circulation working a lot better. And so things that we'll use for that would be like a turmeric product. You know, I love the Thorn Mariva product. We usually recommend, you know, like a two a day, four a day, depending on what the inflammation looks like. And that's going to really decrease the inflammation within the vessel so that we can get a lot better blood flow there. Now, the other side of that is opening up the blood vessel. And so that's where we would rely on nitrates a little bit more. So that's, you know, juicing spinach, juicing, getting celery or watermelon in there for citrulline, um, really opening up the blood vessel. We use a lot of beet products to try to get that done. 
so the blood flow is good. And then we can take a look at what can we do from an anti-inflammatory standpoint. So that's where like omega-3s would come in, specifically EPA would be important there. And also tart cherry juice, getting the polyphenols in there to really get the inflammation low and to start that recovery process. From a micronutrient standpoint and just, you know, multivitamin, when you're looking at zinc and copper and magnesium, <laughs> vitamin D, you know, getting a really good multivitamin is so crucial because then it gives you this foundational layer of creating really good healing. You know, like if you have all of the cofactors to make all the reactions occur, the reactions are going to continue to push and you don't have to work so hard to get that healing to happen. You know, as soon as you decrease, say, like magnesium, you run out of magnesium, that's a rate limiting step in a ton of reactions. And so then all of a sudden the healing is not going to occur quite as quickly. So we recommend a multi good multivitamin. We get the turmeric in there, tart cherry juice, omega-3. And then finally, we look at, you know, what are the building blocks that are required? What type of protein is going to be needed? And so making sure that we have consistent doses of quality protein throughout the day, including something like a HMB, uh, you know, glutamine is really important for gut health and for muscle growth. And so making sure that we're looking at specific nutrients like that to make sure that we're getting those in. Great. And then finally, once the athlete is recovered and rehabbed, I think a lot of times, you know, especially in the, you know, the active amateur population, uh, a lot of people just think, okay, I'm healed, I'm done and forget to fuel through the adaptations that need to happen to return to play to, you know, kind of get back to your peak performance or pre-injury level. What are some of the nutrition considerations that you lean on to help athletes get back to that, that optimal performance? Yeah, well, remember that all that stuff that I just talked about was only the first phase of healing. <laughs> so <laughs> that inflammatory phase is pretty pretty crucial to get to because as soon as you get past the inflammatory phase and you have full range of motion, that's where you can start to really put muscle back on. And that's where, again, energy balance comes in as the most primary factor. But then also looking at things like your protein dosing to make sure you're getting quality protein multiple times throughout the day. And then depending on the type of training and the rehab you're doing, beta alanine or creatine to make sure that you're really promoting that muscle growth and allowing for that stress stimulus to be high enough. Perfect. So, uh, all right. I think we're going to have to take a short break, but when we get back, we're going to delve into some of the questions from our listeners. Stress, particularly chronic stress, can negatively impact every aspect of health, from cardiovascular health to weight management, to sleep, to immune function and everything in between. In today's stressed out society, Thorne offers a set of unique nutritional supplements that can help you manage daily stress. One example is Thorne's Hemp Oil Plus, the highest quality hemp stock oil on the market. Hemp Oil Plus is formulated with the complementary ingredients that help you better manage stress and anxious feelings. Hemp Oil Plus is just one of many unique stress support solutions Thorne offers to help you find your happy place. Visit Thorne.com to learn more. That's T-H-O-R-N-E dot com. And we're back. Becky, let's get into some of the questions from our audience. So awesome. first one, just kind of a general, uh, what type of injury do you find is most common in athletes? 
Oh gosh, it probably depends on the sport. I, a muscle injury is probably the most common. If you think about different sports will have different muscle injuries that occur. Like in sprinters, hamstrings are really common. And so that's something that is very limiting to them. You can't sprint if your hamstring is hurt. Baseball players, oblique injuries, where they're, you know, it's a strain and that's really painful. And basketball players, you know, a lot of different muscle injuries, but calves seem to be pretty limiting. You know, it's hard to go out and jump and move and cut and change direction if your calf is strained. Yeah, so there's a super overused phrase in sports, are you hurt, are you injured? And I think I think <laughs> yeah. a lot of people don't realize how many athletes do have those nagging injuries that do require some intervention, you know, at the end of the season or when they have time to fully recover. But um, one of our questions is, is how common is surgery for athletes? Is it rare or do athletes go under the knife multiple times in a career? Um, well, hopefully it's rare. I mean, it just depends on the athlete. I mean, a lot of injuries are freak things that happened, you know, especially surgical injuries are usually freak accidents. You know, you stepped on the base wrong while you were rounding it and, you know, hurt your ankle so badly that it needs to be repaired. Our bodies are so physiologically capable of repairing anything that's not like a mechanical issue. <laughs> so, you know, an ACL is probably something that you hear a lot about. And that's because when an ACL tears, it can't heal itself. It just is, you know, from an anatomical position, it doesn't reattach. Where something like an MCL, which is also torn often in a knee, can heal without surgical intervention. And so it just kind of depends on what you're looking at. Hopefully the athletes are lucky enough to not have to go under the knife for multiple surgeries. The more overuse an athlete has, the more likely surgery probably is going to be. That's why you hear about so much surgery in like baseball players like Tommy John. A lot of times athletes are overused early on. So whether it's little league or high school baseball. And so they have just kind of, as they're growing, their bodies were not made to withstand the stress that they're going to put on their ligament. If you think about it, a pitcher, say 15 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, that threw hard through in the 90s. A pitcher that had like a 93 mile an hour fastball was like a good pitcher. And now pitchers are throwing over 100 and the ligament is the same size. So trying to withstand that stress on the ligament it's just not built for that. Right. Sure. Yeah. Fastballs in the 80s are change-ups now, right? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned, we have a colleague that refers to the body as a survival machine. So the body is pretty amazing at repairing itself. So the question from our user is, is surgery overused? But I kind of want to expound on that and ask, what are some of the things you've seen over the past you know, decade or so that are in focus to kind of either prevent injury or, you know, kind of minimize the need for surgery? The advances in physical therapy have probably been the greatest impact in decreasing the need for physical or for surgery. The idea of prehab, <laughs> which is, you know, it was a new term to me a couple of years ago. I thought, well, that's a really good way to phrase it, you know, where you're proactively strengthening, say, like your hips or your shoulder. I think probably uh, Dr. Job was the first one to come up with a, you know, arm care program. Athletes are really reliant on their arm care programs at this point. And not only is it arm care, but it's also total body care. I mean, doing sprint work and doing things to improve the, the rotation of your hips and to uh, maximize you know, the stability 
that exists within the core really helps to prevent any overuse injuries or flexibility issues. If your hamstrings are very flexible, for instance, mm-hmm. you're gonna need to make sure that your core is really strong so that you can prevent any overstretching or injuries. Great, so uh, another question is kind of specific to diets. So are pro athlete diets specialized for pros and should everyone eat like an athlete? <laughs> That's kind of a trick question. Yes, they are specialized. All of the diets that I have for any athlete is going to be specialized. However, everyone should have a specialized diet. You can't just say one size fits all to any diet. You need to make sure that you're really programming in what is going to be specific to that person. The best way to think about this is that the reason that I like baseball nutrition so much actually is because of this. <laughs> so so let's think of two pitchers. We've got Cece Sabathia, who is a Cy Young Award winner, and we also have Tim Lincecum, who is a Cy Young Award winner. And these are two incredibly different body types that both were the best pitcher in baseball at their during their respective times. And so when you think about it that way, you're literally, it's like CSI nutrition, right? How are we going to fuel a little tiny guy to throw so hard. And then we've also got this much bigger person who's going to be able to throw the ball hard. Like, what are we going to do differently? Um, In baseball, everybody, all the position players have an offensive role and a defensive role, right? So like somebody like Troy Tulowitzki, who's really strong and lean and long and covers a lot of ground as a shortstop is a power hitter at the plate versus, you know, somebody like, I don't know, David Fletcher's also kind of a power hitter, but he is, you know, leadoff guy. He's super fast. He gets on base like nobody. He gets his hands to the ball and can get a single mm-hmm. to get in scoring position so easily. So, be, you know, those two have the same defensive role, but they have very different offensive roles. So fueling each of those athletes to maximize their strength is really important. Great. All right. And I can't let you go without this question. So what's your favorite nutrient and what's your favorite smoothie recipe? Ooh, favorite nutrient. Oh my goodness. Gosh. My current favorite nutrient is probably magnesium. Uh, No, uh, nitrates. I don't know. That's a really tough question. I love diving into a nutrient because we know so little You know, it's so humbling to look at physiology and figure out how we don't know things. And so even, you know, in this year of 2021, when we think that we're super smart, we look at a nutrient like, say, magnesium, and we realize, oh my gosh, it's involved in like 300 metabolic reactions that I didn't realize that it was involved in. When I was in school, it was like, no big deal. You eat beans, cool, you have enough magnesium. Um, now it's, you know, we're, we're looking much further into all of the roles of magnesium. Look at vitamin D and how cool vitamin D is. We used to think bone health, but now we know it has to do with like lung health you know, muscle contraction, all these different things. And, you know, does this, we used to think the sun could give us enough vitamin D. Well, heck no, we've got to be supplementing that. Things like that are really exciting to me. Super nerdy when it comes to, you know, biochemistry and where the nutrients feed into all of the reactions. So yeah, I mean, and then you throw in how do vitamin D and calcium react together and all of a sudden you have a whole new picture of what you're looking at or, how does how do nitrates decrease as you age and all of a sudden you're like wait is that the fountain of youth so i just think there's so much that we don't know that i could never pick a favorite nutrient yeah that was that was a tough question it's like asking you to pick your favorite child so <laughs> tough for a dietitian sure 
Uh, all right, Becky. Well, how do people follow you and learn a little bit more about Rebuild Nutrition and just kind of information around nutrition through the injury process? Um, well, you could go to rebuildnutrition.com is where all of the Rebuild Nutrition information is. Um, the product that I love the most is called the Rebuild Box, and that's made for the general public. So it's literally a plug and play system. It's taking 15 years of working with pro athletes and what I know about them and how I know that it's difficult to stick to a nutrition program when you've just had surgery and you're on the couch and can't move. Um, so it's it's really just made to be so simple that it's, I don't know, idiot proof is kind of a mean word, but idiot proof. So I love that product. I think it's really cool. It's a combination of all of the highest quality supplements and the nutrition knowledge and protocols to use them at the right time in the right doses. So it's pretty cool. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. Becky, thank you so much for your time and, and sharing your knowledge with us. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast Performance Edition. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take 5 Daily blog. For this performance edition of the Thorn Podcast, I'm Joel Totoro, reminding everyone to stay active and stay hydrated.